Hello, everyone. Welcome to God and Other Delicacies. I'm Nicholas D'Agosto. Thank you all for being here. I hope this show is finding you healthy, safe, and sane wherever you are in the world. Today, I have the privilege of welcoming Kim Prince to the show. Kim is the owner and creator of Hot Bill Chicken, an L.A. restaurant serving Nashville hot chicken in the Baldwin Hills Crenshaw neighborhood of South L.A. Recently voted one of L.A.'s best restaurants of 2020 by Los Angeles Magazine, Hotville is also partnered with Greg Doolin of Doolin Soul Food Restaurants, who was a recent guest on this podcast. Kim is from Nashville and has the unique position of being one of the nieces of her great-great-uncle Thornton Prince, who is credited with having invented the hot chicken recipe and tradition in Nashville. Kim studied public administration at Fresno State University and worked in production and development for 20 years at various TV networks before she decided to bring her family legacy to L.A., I'm thrilled to hear her story. Welcome to the show, Kim. Thank you, Nick. It's great to have you here, Kim. I want to say, first of all, that like Greg, I was introduced to you through my wife, Andrea, who's an exceptional food photographer, and she shot Hotville and you, and and she just had the most wonderful stories to tell about that day and the energy of that day. So she just really delighted in working with you. And also, I got to try your chicken, which was amazing. And it is genuinely hot. yeah (laughs) i mean i read these articles you had a great article in the new york times and i read that and it starts with like the cooks have seen this they've seen it a hundred times somebody walks (laughs) up to the counter and says i want the hot chicken and they don't even try mild or medium and then the next thing you know is that person's basically crying yeah it's so good do you still eat the hot level or how often do you eat the hot level do you have to like manage that I personally do not eat the hottest level of chicken that we make. Uh, As a kid, I played around with it, but the older I got, the wiser I got. (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, (laughs) That sounds right. I I genuinely care about the rest of my day, and I don't like (laughs) I don't I don't like all the schedule adjustments that National Hot Chicken presents. But um, (laughs) no, so I, I now I generally go mild when I'm just craving some some heat. Yeah, and then I'll do plain. Because I just like fried chicken. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that you actually just served plain fried chicken Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Well, the flavor is so good. Everyone should go just to enjoy, you know, the flavor. But if you've got the courage, you absolutely have to do the the hottest variety. Totally. Nashville hot chicken is a experience. It's flavorful and it's something good to eat. But it's the experience that people get because it's like, especially the first timers. That first time... Everybody remember the first time they drove, the first date, first kiss, first time they ever made love. Like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Oh, like, yeah. Your first. And I put Nashville Hot Chicken in that category of first. When you have your first experience with it, you never forget it. Yes. And it depends on what level of heat you go, but you don't forget that first time. <laughs> well, also, it sounds like if you get the hottest one and you're not ready for it, you're going to be thinking about it for at least a day or two. So it's going to be really hard for you to forget then. You better, be- you better <laughs> believe it. Oh, yeah. Is I going in hot coming out? It's a 24-hour <laughs> chicken. It's it's hot beginning to end. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, there's so many good phrases. So pick pick your pain. Pick your pleasure, pick your pain. But a lot of times when people come into Hotville Chicken, uh, one of the first things we ask them is, are you here for a good 
piece of chicken or are you here for an experience? And a lot of people are like, ooh, I want the experience. <laughs> so what's that mean? <laughs> You're like, well, you'll be coming back for the chicken. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Did you grow up with those types of phrases in your family? You just had that run of like really funny phrases, you know, good from beginning to end and 24-hour chicken and all that stuff. Is that stuff yeah, that you just grew up with in your family because you were just always, it was always around? <laughs> um, you know, I like to think that the Prince family, we're a bunch of wordsmiths. There's a bunch of educators in the Prince family and, oh, okay, cool. uh, and, and entrepreneurs as well. We've got doctors in the family. We've got sports agents in the family, school teachers, uh, retired college professors and pig farmers. And then prior to that, slaves in the mortuary that we own. So, wow. so the Prince family has a very diverse palette of occupations and industries as far back as I can research to my third great grandmother being born in 1835. So wow. I personally, wow. um, and not just haven't been a student, but I call myself a forever student. I listen, I'm a, an observer and I like to read as well. So uh, my parents are both retired school teachers. My grandmother on my dad's side, retired school teacher, my dad's sister, retired school teacher. Oh, wow. My twin, my twin sister is a school teacher. My older sister and my older brother are both school teachers. So a lot of education. I grew up on the Britannica encyclopedias. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Those are our summer projects sometimes in the country. Uh, my dad would uh, require us over the summer to do book reports. Oh, man. And we, we literally great. had to spend time not just outside doing chores on the farm, but we also had to spend time doing book reports. So we didn't have time to be bored. We didn't just like ride bikes up and down sidewalks because in the countryside, we didn't have sidewalks. It was get an encyclopedia if we asked a question and they research it. So I think that's where my verbosity comes from. I love it. <laughs> that's great, Kim. Well, Thank look, you. that's a that's a beautiful thing to jump into. Already, I there's a bunch of places I want to go. Is it true? Is it folklore? Is it just fun to tell this story that your great-great-uncle was a, a ladies' man and a jealous lover over-spiced his chicken as a way of kind of surprising him with a little bit of pain, and then he loved it? Is that, I mean, that's on your website, but like, is that, sure. a, is that something you have all told in your family and you think it's true? There's a lot of accuracy to, to that. And I, I'd like to add the fact that my great great uncle, who gets credit for opening the business, wasn't the only, the only handsome one who had a lot of women in his life. <laughs> they had a, a propensity for getting around, and, and 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 that's like that's just street talk, and it gets back to you over time. Yeah. You know, how many cousins I have <laughs> in oh, Tennessee, wow. the offspring of of all of that carousing from several of them. I just put it that way. And my father, who is still living, I love my dad, Martin Prince. We've done cross-country road trips talking about the Prince family and the Prince man and his experiences, uh, having watched and observed these older gents. And he always made these comments. I don't want my boys to be like like their uncles. And I don't want them to be like their, their great uncles. And wow. I was just like, what does that mean? So the older I got, the more I learned. And while their carousing did get them in trouble, this one mistress who has a name. <laughs> oh, wow. You can like actually. Nick, you know, I'll go to my grave knowing her name. <laughs> but, really? Um, wow, that's amazing. But the amazing thing about the tale, uh, you know, I'm on the wall at Highville Chicken, it says a vengeful tale that burned his tail, but he liked it. That's on the wall. And so people are like, what does that mean? So we tell the story of what Nashville hot chicken, how it came to be. Nashville is the Garden of Eden 
when it comes to hot chicken. It started there. It was created there. It's known for pain and pleasure and creating endorphins. And you know, I'm, a, I'm one who studies peppers. I love peppers yeah. and, and the science of cooking and that kind of thing. So this woman, she is a legend in her own right with, uh, with no name to have thought of an idea of getting back at him to create his favorite dish and be vengeful. People always say, like, he'll have no fear like a woman scorned. Uh, even the Bible itself talks about the scorned woman and the derailing woman on the rooftop. Yeah. Uh, so it's just like, you know, you, you end up in a doghouse <laughs> when it comes to, you know, cheating and, and, you know, philandering and getting around too much. It actually still happens. There are women who come to the restaurant, not just my restaurant here in L.A., but when I worked in the, at Prince's Hot Chicken, uh, my family's restaurant in Nashville, there would be women who would rush in late at night, for example. And they're like, I want the hottest chicken you got. And I could just tell <laughs> that I was like, I said, girl, what did he do? <laughs> and we would lean in. Lean in, and I was like, what do you do? Oh, yeah, we're going to get back at him today. And so, so I knew that that line meant something, particularly because the restaurant would stay open at 4 o'clock in the morning. And all of my years of being there to watch the sun come up, and we're just locking the door at 5 o'clock in the morning, and people are still at the door waiting for chicken. Wow. I saw plenty of doghouse moments. <laughs> And, That's and uh, I'm like, yeah, we're going to put a burn on them this time. She's like, oh, yeah, it's going. Like, put it in that bag and hurry up. And, and they rush out the door and then you see them again the next week. And she's just got a glow on her face because it worked or whatever. So Let me ask one last question about that, which is, so there's the hot level, which anybody can just order. But then there is, is there the doghouse level when someone comes in? Is there another level to the hot yes. chicken when you make it for them? Are you like, okay, there's the hot chicken. And then there's the level I know where it yeah. goes beyond. Well, I think in the, all these fine dining, eating blogger types, they call it the secret menu now. Uh-huh. Uh, so at Highville Chicken, we have an off menu or a secret menu level. And we call it the toe tag in the kitchen because I never came up with a name on it. But I love it. So you mean it's like a body, like like the dead body, like the toe tag? Yeah. Oh, man, that's amazing. Yeah. we. It literally, it was so... I mean, we sat there in the kitchen. I remember the first time when I was doing the pop-ups in um, downtown Los Angeles. And my nephew uh, was in the kitchen working with me. And the, on the ticket, it said, the hottest you can make it. And we were like, the hottest you can make it? And I was like, oh, okay. So I always keep a bottle in my pocket. Uh, I, got a, I got a bottle that's locked up in the office that when people ask for the hottest we can make it, the whole kitchen erupts in laughter and it's a it's it's a lab experience for us, but we have a fun time and literally it comes out looking like death. Like it's uh, I've got pictures of it. It's like so dark and like it looks like a black cast iron skillet when it right. when we're finished with it. And I'm like, there's no way in the world I would eat that. There's no way in the world people should eat this kind of stuff, but they ask for it, they pay for it. Uh and I've sat and watched a few. I mean, I do mean a few, like we've had five people this year alone who have tackled it and three that have actually finished it to the point where I will give them an autographed T-shirt simply because they they conquered the toe tag. Wow. I mean, is it just sweat, tears, snot, 
the whole thing? Body body convulsions. It starts with the leg shaking. There's something about I don't know what that is. I'd have to ask, you know, the wow. medical experts why I love it makes it though. your leg like you're, shake. You're you've got like you're starting to see the scientific. You're running like an experiment. You literally do. I mean, that the sweat, the beads of sweat form within seconds of taking the bite. It's not that it's even been ingested completely. When you take that first bite, there's beads of sweat that immediately erupt, like on the top of your head, on your forehead, on the back of your neck, and and then the legs start shaking. I was like, oh, got him. And so, and that's even our hot level. Yeah, our shoot, our medium level can actually make you know cause the body to react that way. But yeah, they, I, I've seen people jump up and they throw their chair back, or they get up and run to the bathroom. But they go in for another bite. That's the part I don't understand. It's the it's the second, the third, the fourth bite, the finishing of the whole meal that, you know, and that's we're not serving milk. Back in the 1930s, they served buttermilk with the meal. But um, wow. we give them water and lots of pickles and, and lots of bread because all that helps. <laughs> I just... Madness. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> and I... So I didn't grow up with a lot of spice in my family. Um, okay. I, I learned. Where that, are you from? Where are you from? I'm Nate? from Omaha, Nebraska. Meat and potatoes, you know, a pasta family. We were Italian, but I I grew to love spice as I got older, and it was kind okay. of like anybody that sort of learns it on their own. Kind of you're taking it little by little. I moved to LA 20 years ago now, or whatever, and you know you can get all kinds of pickled jalapenos and you start to get into habaneros more and Andrea started, you know, pickling our own kind of like habanero stuff. We grow oh, habaneros nice. in the back and That's some fun. of that stuff is really, really hot. And then Andrea came home and told me that she mentioned to you, like, well, we've been making some stuff with habaneros and it's hot. And, and your reaction was like, yeah, I mean, habaneros are hot, I guess. You know, I like, remember telling Andrea, I said, oh, we don't even use habaneros here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there is something beautiful about that. Anybody that likes spice and knows spice, that likes to challenge themselves with spice, I like to challenge myself with spice, but it doesn't mean that I can handle the highest levels. There is an amazing physiological response. The endorphins are real. There's something amazing about that kind of pain. It's like, uh, you know, running a marathon or something. When you take your body to a limit, uh, your body reacts in these really interesting ways. Our customers, we refer to them as kinfolk. When they when they come in, when just of the idea of deciding what level of heat they want to choose, it's, it's a whole litany of questions they ask. And then we we say, hey, let's give you a medium sample. We give people the medium. Our, it's called Music City Medium. We put a little bit of it on the French fry, uh, just so you have like a blank slate. And when they take that bite off that French fry, they're floored immediately. Wow. And it makes you come to a point of decision. Do I, do I want to go full portion at this medium level? Can I handle a hotter level? Or do I want to back up and get off the ledge and go for a mild <laughs> raising plane? So most people go backward. Oh, Kim, I, I can't tell you how much I adore all of the death references you have regarding... Yeah. Regarding your food, it's amazing. <laughs> it speaks to the severity of it, and uh, it also speaks to the enthusiasm people have for it. It's a way to really shock you into life, right? I mean, it makes you Absolutely. really present and shocks you into life. I love moments like that. Kim, we have talked so much about this. We got to take our first break, so we'll be back in just a minute. Hey. 
At times like this, it is necessary that we ask ourselves what is worth talking about, what is worth listening to, and what we each can do to make the world around us better in our own small way. Discussions revolving around a person's beliefs and perspectives on God are something I personally can speak to, and my intention is to create a space where our deepest feelings about God and life can be expressed, heard, and better understood. That is one of the motivations behind God and Other Delicacies, and it is my humble hope that it contributes to the positive side of the cultural ledger. It is my intention to continue to create opportunities here for the presentation of those ideas that are different than mine, so that I can listen to them, come to understand them better, and hopefully discover ways in which I and each of us can participate in fostering communities that are ultimately more fair and loving for all. All right, everybody, we're back with Kim. Kim, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Tea. Is that a regular thing? You Because you get up and you're cooking right away, you don't like eat a meal? Yeah, I, I'm not really a breakfast eater, heavy breakfast type. That's too much for me. So I usually go with something like a beverage, drink water. And then I like citrus mint tea, whether it's hot or cold. This morning I'm drinking it cold. No caffeine? No caffeine. No, not really. I get into my mocha frappuccino moments. Right down the street from us is South LA Cafe, another, oh, yeah. another Black-owned business that I love supporting. Andrea shot for them too, yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely. I love that you I love that you refer to your community as kinfolk. I think it's really beautiful. It speaks to the, the community aspect, the family aspect of what you're doing. And I want to hear more about that stuff, okay? So tell me, sure. how and when were you introduced to the idea of God in your life? Wow. Well... I'm a preacher's kid. Mm. So, that's a, that's so your a, that's dad's a, a school teacher and a preacher? No, actually my mother. Oh, your mom yeah. was the preacher. Yeah, we've talked a long time about that. Oh, man. Well, I apologize for making the uh, the, gen- the, gen- the, 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 the gender-blind <laughs> question, the sexist question. I didn't even yeah. ask what your mom did. Your mom's the preacher, of course. Yeah, my mom is, is she's still preaching. She, she she preached yesterday, as a matter of fact. I'm not sure what state she was in, but my mother uh travels. She's a traveling evangelist and uh she passed her uh her own church for some different spurts in my life and then she went and started doing just worldwide evangelism. She's been on television, she had oh her own television gosh. project for a while, and she's still traveling and writing. She just released a book. Uh, last year about the rapture. What's your name? My mother's name is Evangelist Louise Prince. And she's from Nashville originally. They live in Tennessee still. And uh, and my dad is lovingly referred to as Deacon Martin Prince. So my dad is a deacon, as well as my older brother being a deacon. So uh, this is, this is, we can talk a long time about, about church oh and God. Oh my gosh, wow. But to answer your question, my first introduction, I would say, my first introduction to God was while I was in my mother's womb. Let me explain that. Uh, my mother was baptized in 1971. Here I'm telling my age now. I was born at the top of 72. I was an identical twin, and my twin sister was 10 minutes before me. And my mother has always shared her experience of uh, being baptized in Jesus' name and receiving and filling of the Holy Ghost. My mother, she always talked about, you know, going to the tent revival. You know, if you can imagine the deep south, you know, the white tents and the chairs out and all the cars around and people coming down dirt roads. 
to hear some traveling evangelist that's preaching up under a tent. So my mother always makes these references to her upbringing, different Baptist churches and uh, these Pentecostal revivals. If you look up the movie, The Apostle, that movie is very indicative, like what my mother talks about. So, you know, miracles, uh, healing services that would happen in these white tents way out in the countryside. So she um, would tell us about her growing up going to tent revivals and the first time she saw people or heard people speak in tongues and miracles being on people getting out of wheelchairs and you know she just mesmerized as a little girl seeing all that but it wasn't until she was in her 20s that she when she got married to my father and they you know you know african-americans in the south tradition is you can get up and you go to church on sunday and that's still very true of what we do now. You get up, you go to church on Sunday. We have a business that operates on a Sunday, but we still very much have a routine of practicing faith, worship, and uh, our spiritual journey happens on a Sunday in my family. So my mom in the 70s, she would go to revivals with my dad and she was married and she already had two children, but she was pregnant with the twins, myself and my twin sister, Kelly. And that's when she received the uh, the Holy Spirit. So she, I feel like my experience was that. And then right. in the Bible, if we go into the New Testament for a second, yeah. go into the New Testament, Mary had a cousin named Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is one of the first references of the Holy Spirit leaping in the belly. Elizabeth is pregnant with John and Mary is pregnant with the soon-to-be-born Jesus Christ of Nazareth, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, when the two of the, these two cousins come together and meet, uh, I want to look the passage up almost. I'm trying to see if I can even... It's according to Luke chapter 1, verse 41. And I am going to read the New Living Translation. So Luke chapter 1, verse 41, where Mary visits Elizabeth. Okay. Okay. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. There's a great response after that where Mary sings a song of praise. And you being raised Catholic, the prayer makes mention of this particular text, does it not? Blessed art thou among women. women. Yeah, yeah. Hail Mary, full grace. That's, that's pulled from, Where's yeah. That's a part of this passage. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So you've always had a certain kinship. That's something you've shared. You and your sister and your mother have shared is this feeling, this sort of symmetry that you were all baptized together. You know, you two as being in the womb and your mother having made that choice all at the same moment, right? And that's something that sure. is, is really special. It's clear that it's not only, it's clear that it's an somewhat of an identity for all of you, right? No, absolutely. But you know what? That identity comes with the commitment. 
you know, I, I have to say, if my mother had not walked it out, if she didn't live out her faith and continually going to church, and then add to that, when she got called into the ministry, I was a young girl at the time. And I remember being maybe five, six, seven years old. I was in elementary school and we moved from, we had lived in LA and we moved back to Nashville. And my mother started a church called Mount Zion in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. It started in our living room at our house at first. And it was like, she had an instant choir because she had six kids, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) My grandfather, her father lived with us Mm -hmm. and the dogs, we had a bunch of dogs. So our dogs would be in the window in the backyard. (laughs) And we had this big, we had this beautiful home uh, out there in College Grove, Tennessee. And my dad would open up church service because I, you know, I kind of imagine that at some point, you know, whatever vision she had, whatever that call to the ministry experience is, uh, for those who go into ministry, for her, I'm sure she, of course, shared that with my dad. My dad had to sign on, believe in it, you know, otherwise it, the pairing wouldn't have worked. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, of uh, course, of course. It's like choosing an occupation or your job says, hey, you've been promoted. We're going to move you to Wisconsin. And you got to talk to your spouse about it. Like, hey, baby, we got to move to Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. So, my mother and father, I can always imagine their pillow talk. And they're like, okay, hey, Martin, I've been called to the ministry. And hey, Louise, what does that mean? And then they go <laughs> yeah, back and exactly. forth in the middle Means of the night. I'm never going to be pillow around. Talk. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, or I want to start a church. Or it's like, how do you come to a decision like that? Well, you got, they did it together. Yeah. And to this day, they've been married, oh, what, 54, 55 years or so now. And my parents have uh, just uh, an admirable relationship not with just each other, but as parents, as friends, as husband and wife, and as like colleagues in the ministry, having watched them is such a, a, a great example for, for me and my siblings. You know, like my twin sister, she's married to a pastor. He's now a bishop. Wow. Uh, my oldest brother is a head deacon at his church, and he's married to the pastor's daughter. And He's a bishop. <laughs> and, wow. And so, wow. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a lot of that in my, in my family and my other siblings who are married go to church and they, they get the kids up, they get dressed. And I already talked about how, you know, church is a thing for us as a family. Even my aunt who runs a restaurant in Nashville, they're closed on Sunday, as a lot of businesses are in the South. They're closed on Sundays. Yeah. And, they go to church together and it's something that they just do together. But her call to ministry and that experience in the womb, uh, I've always connected with that. And then I remember as a kid, when we would go to church, you know, my sister and I, you know, we barely see over the pews and we're just fascinated with everything that's happening. And in the African-American community, Sunday mornings, uh, you know, I've always heard it said that, you know, Sunday is like one of the most segregated days of the week because, you know, all different communities face are going off to worship. Oh, and you know, yeah. it, it kind of makes sense when you it hear does it make sense. phrased that way, right? For sure. You get up and you go to mass, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and the litany, the communion, uh, and, I'm, and I'm not Catholic. Uh, well, sure. You know, ours is like really tied to an hour, but I feel like in your world, <laughs> you know, this is the, the vibe I get is that, 
you know, Sunday is not just Sunday morning. You're there for a while, and then you know you all eat, and then you come back. Oh, yeah. Then you come back oh, yeah. again. It's a commitment. It's like you got That's to see right. again. You go back and eat again. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, and it's 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 all day thing. It really is. There's so much Sunday. You got to start off with Sunday school early in the morning. Right. And, you know, thank goodness they had snacks. I was like, are they gonna have snacks? You know, these <laughs> yeah. they always about get us food. up so early and. The, <laughs> And driving to church, and you know, and and, and the lace, the slips, and the the, the pat leather shoes. <laughs> you know, oh my gosh, I'm having flashbacks now. Yeah, um, well, you know these, and it was every Sunday for us. It wasn't just New Year's, you know, New Year's trying to get the year started off right, and and then Easter and Mother's Day. You know, there there are a lot of people in America who just go to church on certain. Sundays, sure. But we went every Sunday, and uh, and yes, we did eat, and that's like fried chicken is a staple, and and the mothers cooking in the we called el- the senior mothers, the senior elderly people mothers, yeah, yeah. The mothers of the church would be in the kitchen, and you could smell it, and you needed the sermon to hurry up and end, yeah, you right. To get right. to the chicken and the potato salad, <laughs> and you know they're portioning it on that little paper plate, and so like church for me is like. It's an experience that's very, very much a part of my life. And therefore, you know, God being the, the, the reason why we all gathered in the first place, uh, that being introduced to me started from the womb on. And we weren't given an option while we were in our, our adolescent years. When we became older, and that gets me back to the commitment part. Yeah. The, the commitment is, you know, once you become like a teenager and you get a little more responsibility under your belt and they give you a little bit more rope to go out and do, you stay out a little bit later, you know. Right. And, and my family, we were, my father and my mother being teachers, my dad was also not just a teacher, but he was a coach and he, he coached basketball, football, track. And and the, his kids were all participants in sports and I was a cheerleader and I ran track and, you know, and back then we didn't have our athletic events didn't hit on Sunday. They were like on Friday and Saturday and we were exhausted, but we had to get up and go to church on Sunday. And we knew it, tired and all, hamstring pulls, whatever, mm. <laughs> sprained ankles. You got up and you went to church and prayer was always introduced to my family. I remember the Wednesday night Bible studies and, and you know, if, we were, if it snowed and the weather, we had inclement weather and you couldn't make it to church because it was too dangerous to get there. We did it at home. And my parents would wake us up and it's, it's time for prayer. And we're like, wow. okay, and all six kids, you know, we're down there and by the couch praying. I remember things like when the phone would ring, I would listen to my mother's response on the phone. And, you know, based on how she answered the phone, we knew, whether, oh, they're about to call us in the prayers because, you know, it's like you could get the news of a loved one passing or some accident or something like that. What happened? And, you know, because my mother was called to ministry and she's very active in the church and my father both, it filtered to the children as well. And so our knee jerk response to to events happening in our life, we would pray. And so, you know, whether we were holding hands together, my family still does something, you know, even with the pandemic now, uh, we get on a Zoom call. Just a few weeks ago, my father did a Zoom call with all of his grandchildren, and he taught a Bible study. Wow. So that's a daily commitment to stay true to your faith, whatever it might be. 
it's a daily commitment. You got, you got options. Uh, you know, God doesn't force himself on us. He's around us every day, but he doesn't force himself on us. You get the choice to choose, choose his love. You get the choice to admire all that his hand has created, uh, what his, his voice spoke into existence. If you go back to Genesis and look at all of creation, there's a rose uh, bush that only produces like a single rose for the last couple of years in my yard. And every day when I walk out the, off the porch, I look at that flower and, you know, and sometimes when it's not a season and I wonder, I was like, okay, when are you ever going to produce more than one bud? Mm-hmm. I literally think like that. And I'm off, I'm off to work, getting ready to go open up the restaurant. But I look at that rose bush and I expect it to do what God created to do, create roses, right? Mm-hmm. The rose bush is created to produce roses. And this particular one creates these beautiful red roses. But it only does like one rose out of this big old bush. I only see one bloom at a time. And it may, always makes me wonder. I've talked to the gardener. I was like, how come this bush is only doing <laughs> one rosebud in its cycle? Then I was like, I needed to do more than that. I really wish it would do more than that. I don't ever cut them. I just let them go through a cycle and die. And then eventually there was like two because he started doing what? He started pruning it. He started cutting cutting mm-hmm. it back. He started trimming it. He started tending to it. And when we started taking care of it, it could produce more. It could produce what it's supposed to, what it was created to do. And to me, that's what God, how God looks upon me. Uh, so I can't, I don't want to talk in generalizations. No, that's, just that's my a life. beautiful, that's a beautiful my place. Life. That's a beautiful yeah. place to end the second segment. Okay, Kim? Okay. Oh, All yeah. right. We'll be back for segment three in just a moment. God and Other Delicacies has a weekly newsletter. If you'd like to subscribe, email me at godsdelicateshow at gmail.com and I'll put you on the list. Also, if you're listening to this show on iTunes right now, I'd love it if you scrolled to the bottom, hit five stars, and wrote a one to two sentence review. It really does help the show reach more listeners and it means a lot to me because I read them and it's nice to read nice things. Okay, everybody, we're back in our final segment with Kim. Kim, one of the things that really struck me about your situation growing up with you, about your family situation, is that you were very specific. You know, there was really just kind of two versions of books that we grew up with. One was the Bible, and the Bible was always there and always the first and most important book. But we were also surrounded by all of these other books full of historical facts about what we know about the world, about science. You're talking about things like National Geographic. You're talking about things like Encyclopedia Britannica. These are school books. These are books for us, you know, the accumulated wealth of human knowledge. And then on the other side of it, you have this wealth of human spiritual knowledge, you know, God's word. But then it's not a surprise, right? Like this is a constant argument even today. You know, it's Mm -hmm. it's just a massive argument in the United States, in the world, how do we balance or how do we acknowledge the fact that there is faith and then there is, or there is this Bible and faith, whether, you know, whether you adhere to it or not. And then there is all this scientific fact. It seems like your family might've been an interesting microcosm of that conversation. Mm -hmm. And how 
I was raised is how I still believe. And I'm forever grateful that my parents saw the light, <laughs> got that illumination, the revelation that God is the center of their uh, existence and that Jesus Christ is God. That, you know, I, um, I, I'm grateful for my rearing, for how they, it never felt forced to me, uh, you know, getting dragged out of bed to go to church. Sometimes it felt forced because I, I was tired and I didn't feel like getting up. But when we got to the church house and we were surrounded by our friends and other family members and, you know, and the energy of the, the good old church service and music, like, like I will never regret a moment of that because that's very much like I thrive off of that, the energy, you know, music and stuff like I needed that. And so that's what pushes me. It's like wind in my sails. I feel that even though we had exposure to all these books, you know, my parents had degrees. We got degrees in our family, you know, education. Education and being scholarly, all that has its place, but it'll never replace God. God created man in his image and in his likeness. And so we have greatness within us. Science and, and medicine and all of the, we're supposed to go to the moon. We're supposed to be able to navigate the universe because he created us to be able to do that. I feel that National Geographic, all these other books that might be out there, people are writing down their experiences. The Bible is not just a book to me. It's a book of experiences, right? Mm -hmm. And for my household, you know, my dad would always say, "Ask me in my house, if you're going to live up under my roof, we'll obey the Lord. Me and mm. my house, we're going we're gonna to obey and trust the Lord. And so, you know, and my dad's word was it. And so I was like, okay, daddy said it, but that means we got to do it. And so that's how we lived. And now that I have my own house, ask me in my house, I do the same thing. And when it comes down to to questioning that, there's been some stretches where, you know, when I got to college, for instance, and I went off to Fresno State, we had keys to our off-campus apartment, my sister and I. We had time and opportunity to cut up and act fool if we wanted to, because we didn't get to do that in the country and, and you know, in our, in our own parents' house. You know, the times that we wanted to sneak out past curfew, come in late. Just didn't work that well for us. I, you know, just like <laughs> out, out of my, out of my parents' six kids, I was probably one of the, the the most stubborn, the most likely to kind of be the black sheep of the family. I would say because I was always one that was had a I was strong headed, so I still am. Uh, right. I, I wanted to learn things the old way. Uh, you know, I school hard knocks. My dad would say, you know, yeah, she gonna have to bump her head. I remember he he would say she gonna have to bump her head, mm. uh, meaning that I would learn the hard way. I was gonna have to stumble a little bit, but you know, you fall, but you got to get back up again. And so when it came down to faith and what we believed, uh, while we had time and opportunity to maybe go to a party, because we weren't allowed to do that as kids. So when I got off to college, you know, I'm like, wow, mom and daddy are like 300 miles away. And my sister and I was like, oh, it's going to take them like two and a half, almost three hours just to get up here if we if something happened. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so that's when I realized, oh, I got time and opportunity to do whatever I want because I don't have any, anybody watching me. 
You feel me? Oh, yeah. But what I did with that moment, and I remember going at my first fraternity party or going over to fraternity row and hanging out after midnight, what that felt like. Now, I will tell you this. I've never taken a drink of alcohol and I've never smoked before. Never once, even never, then. Never, never done a drug, had put nothing to my lips like that. Because I just, it's not a, my, not a part of my appetite. Wow. And even so, then, you never took a drink even, of Even then, all the way to now, it just didn't appeal to me. Because I told you when I was a kid, I was an observer. Yeah. And I would watch people. And I'm like, I don't think I want to act like that. Wow. <laughs> so wow. no judgment on anybody. Not judging anybody, but because it's my choice. Right. And so Kim, Kim Prince's choice is to not do that. Because I don't want the end result. I don't want to be inebriated. I right. want to. I want to have all my faculties. I don't. I don't want to fall in the street or you know get hurt or drive a car, get behind a wheel and drive a car under the influence and hurt somebody. So I'm conscious. I'm a conscious thinker like that, and I don't want anything to disrupt my consciousness. So I make a choice to like never do a drug, never smoke, or never drink, because I don't want it to to cause me to not be able to control. My choice. Wow. Makes sense? Sure. I mean, I did not choose that route. Uh, I did a lot of <laughs> I did a lot, I was a lot of the person you were observing. <laughs> I did a lot of the demonstrating for you. What, yeah, what well, I, was, I, was, I was I was in college, I was I was in college, I was Kim and Kelly don't drink. They they they'd hand us the keys and we would be the designated oh, sure, drivers, right. yeah, exactly. Which was a big responsibility in itself. So I'm just like, you know what? I'm gonna go to the party and say, I'm the designated driver. So like, y'all know I'm not drinking. So right. I was like, how y'all gonna get home? So I was always thinking like that there's repercussions and consequences you know every choice you make has a has a, a consequence there yes. and some of those come with come with a penalty to pay depending on what you do and so i and even with my daughter i have a daughter that's 18 years old oh now. Wow, wow and my daughter i drive her around la on purpose and i take her down towards skid row and i take her you know different parts of, of los angeles you know areas that i was like i want you to see how people live. And then you make the choice on whether that's something comfortable for you. And, you know, she's in the middle of, you know, signing up for college applications and whatnot. And you're like, what do you want to, you don't have to run a restaurant. You can do whatever you like. Uh, what, you know, how do you want to live? Okay, well, these are the type of, you know, what are you interested in? What are your passions? And she's interested in business, <laughs> naturally, of course. But mm-hmm. she has choice, and, and and just like my parents presented choice to us, we realized life there's options, but at the middle of it all, who controls it all is God. And it doesn't matter. Like when we went off to college, my parents were like, "We're going to release you off to go to school." But I remember my parents telling us this: them being school teachers and having gone off to college themselves, you're going to have your faith tested. And whatever you do, y'all better get to that church house. So we went to Fresno. We moved into our apartment. The next place we went wasn't just to the campus. My parents took us to church. Mm. And our church was right down the street from the college campus. And I'm so grateful for that because that became our extended family. So while I didn't think my parents were watching out for us, we had a church watching out for us. Our pastor at the time, the late Bishop Henry Johnson, he became our father. 
and a very loving shepherd. And he didn't rule with a hard thumb or anything like that. We weren't scared of what he had to say, but we felt responsible for our actions. And we always know that other people are watching our actions. And, you know, like how, do, how does our actions lead other people into what they're about to do? I don't want to lead anybody off a ledge. So the times that my faith got tested, I, I remember when, you know, money is scarce. Mm. But I, I had to recognize that money can't rule me. And I, there's been plenty of times like having to file for unemployment. Mm. But I said, you know what? I don't, you know, Lord, if it's your will, I don't want to ever have to stand in a food line. Or I, I don't want to have to, you know, sign up for, you know, government assistance or anything like that. So please, if it's your will, put it in my hands to be able to do what you want me to do. And so I was, I was blessed. I don't believe in luck. So, you know, people, oh, you're lucky to have, you know, met these celebrities or worked on these different productions. I don't believe in luck. I believe that it is in God's divine order and plan for Kim Prince to have done what she's done because I put it in her to work real hard. She had parents that had hard work ethic. They taught her that. I've got the work ethic. I'm teaching my daughter that. And it's just, a, it's in our DNA to do it. We have greatness within us. I tell myself that all the time because uh, it's hard to get up and facts don't line up with my faith. My faith says I can do certain things, but my bank account says something else. Mm. You get a pink slip or you get fired from a job and you're wondering how you're going to pay bills and how you're going to feed your child, how you're going to put gas in the car. And then I pray. I grew up praying and I saw prayers answered in my lifetime. And I still see to this day prayers being answered in my lifetime specific prayers that are like prayed up and they, God can answer prayer. I, I'll never stop believing that. And I've been in some sticky situations and God has always pulled me out. His grace has been a blanket around me. I mean, there, there's, there's been times that, um, you know, I, I literally, I get emotional thinking about it. Well, it's like this pandemic thing. My restaurant had been open for three months yeah. when the pandemic shut indoor dining down. Right. Can you imagine facts and my faith being in question with each other then? Mm. And now we're eight months deep into this pandemic thing. And my restaurant is still going, thank the Lord. Yeah. Um, I'm grateful for every customer that comes to the door. I get up in the morning and I sip my tea and I literally am praying for the new customers, the old customers, I literally pray for them. I may not know them by name, but I pray for them that they come across my door. Every day I get up and do that. Mm -hmm. It's not to make a certain amount of sales just because I know it's God's will for me to be doing the business that I'm doing, right? Mm -hmm. And and, and that's, how, that's my approach to life. And it's working for me. And, and, you know, other people may question that, but I'm like, well, it's working for me. It's keeping my lights on. But I'm not just living to just live. I want to live and thrive and be a blessing to other people. So the next thing that I get up and do is I share my experience and then I let my light shine. I let allow people to see me and like, hey, how did you get through that? How are you surviving through this pandemic, Kim? Well, I'm a human. I'm a cry. Yeah, I cry all the time. It's tight. This sounds like a question whether we're going to be able to make payroll. Mm -hmm. But then I pray. And God comes through. And some people will say, oh, well, man did that. No, I believe that God introduced me to the right resources 
he puts the right things in front of my path because he knows his daughter Kim Prince is observant enough to pay attention to what's happening around her. And so I pray for the right email, the right phone call, the right customer to come through who asked the right question. I'm prepared to answer it or I'm prepared to say, you know what? I need your business card because the resources are around me. And, and, and the next person walking through the door might be the answer to the prayer that I just prayed. Here's an example for you, Nick. When the pandemic kicked back in, back in March, I remember talking to my business partner and I was, I had no clue. Like my brain was clouded with gray. I was not sure how the restaurant was going to survive another day, let alone eight months Yeah. in this fashion of no indoor dining, takeout and delivery only. I'm like, okay, we can handle that. Um, you know, I went through and I got Postmates and we have an agreement with them and they've been doing great with us for um, helping the business get our sales numbers back up. It's not what it's been. It wasn't as nice and great with the cushion of, you know, six-figure sales every month like it used to be. But the business is doing just fine. And I remember that week that we got the announcement that we couldn't have indoor dining anymore. And I prayed. I got in my office and tears streamed down my face. And my exact prayer was like, Lord, I need a miracle. I need a miracle in order for this business which I prayed for, and you have delivered it into my hands. Every day I hold that gold key and open up that door. And I'm grateful for that. But you didn't bring me three months into this journey for it to end this way. And if you did, I'm grateful for the three months run. I'm grateful for that. But I believe in your sovereignty, and you're bigger than this, because I've had dreams and visions of much more than that three-month restaurant. Get where I'm coming from? Mm-hmm. So. That said, literally about two days later, phone call comes. I answer the phone in my office. It happened to be a Sunday night when the phone rang. And it was a council member, Marquise Harris Dawson's office. And they said, Kim, you're the only Hotville chicken, right? I said, yes. This is Marquise Harris Dawson's, uh, council member Marquise Harris Dawson's office calling. We want to know if you can feed X number of seniors tomorrow. I'm like, well, tomorrow's Monday and we're closed. Well, we have this program called the Emergency COVID-19 Senior Meal Program, and they're a high-risk group, and those seniors are encouraged to stay home and not get out, and we need to provide meals for them. Do you think you can participate? I said yes. Without hesitation, I said yes. To me, what leaped in my belly was the Holy Spirit saying, say yes. This is the answer to my that prayer you just prayed. Yeah. And when I tell you, we did 13 straight weeks of senior meals, about a hundred, <laughs> three days a week. I was able to make payroll. I was able to pay all of my vendors on time. Wow. I was able to uh, pay our utility bills and keep the business open. You can't tell me that God didn't answer that prayer. And my whole entire life has been like that. Just recently, I had a very specific prayer while I was in my car driving. I said, Lord, I need a miracle. This, you know, PPP money's running out. And, and that's why I can't, like, I just don't thrive in worship money. Yeah, I, I can't because I know that I feel God is like encouraging me to do uh, as a business owner and as a mentor and as a mother and as a friend to people. Uh, you know, there's people that need help. 
And I'm like, well, let my, my business be a beacon and a help to the community. I don't want to just be here racking up all this dough or whatever, however people may see it. But I want to do, uh, you know, the good Christian will of God. We're, we're instruments. Nick, you and your, your wife, you guys are instruments. You're, you're tools to be used. And you can't just be in the shed with the door locked. Mm. So if it's in you to do podcasts, ask questions like this and have interactions and, and commentary like this, then that's your tool being used. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And every conversation sharpens your tool. That's uh, right. Your, your wife is a photographer, amazing photographer, like one of the best I've seen. And if she were to just sit on her gift and her ability to use her eye to see like the right angle and the right light, it, can you imagine how frustrating you, you all as, as tools might be if you're not being used? Yes. That's how I feel. So with, with Hotville being a a business in a community that has disenfranchisement and food disparities and that kind of thing going around. Well, I feel there's a need for my tools to be used. And I said, Lord, I need a miracle, not just to make payroll, not just to keep the doors of the business open, not just to you know, get another article or an interview or a magazine write-up or anything like that. I want to be a help to the community that I'm in. And when I tell you the next day, like last Monday, I got an email about a grant that I had written and forgot about, and we got approved for that grant. A grant is not a loan, and it was a very significant amount of money. Every day I'm looking for it, every day. You see how it spawns hope? That's what the Bible is. The Bible is word that we can hope by. It tells us specifically, I'm coming back again. I'm coming back again. There's a return. The Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to crack the sky. And come. I have hope in that. I look forward to that. And whether it's in death, I see God, or I'm still living and he appears. I got hope in something. That's how I live. Every day I get up, every day that I'm up, I don't have any control over my breathing. And I, I could I could literally die in my bed, sleep. It happens that people are dying every day. I don't fear death. When it comes, that must be my time. Kim. You know, that's how you have to live. Your mother must be very, very good at what she does because, <laughs> because I feel like you must share something with her in that regard. I don't know how many of your siblings do, but you have a way with the language and you have a way with the energy and um, it's very inspirational and it's very honest. And I, I like, I love these stories because I like it when people pull back the the curtains a little bit and just talk. We talk about the everyday and how, how we live through the everyday. Yeah. And I've been in Hollywood for 20 years. I, I've never particularly enjoyed acting like every day is just rosy. <laughs> you know, it's not, True. I've never loved that. And I, but I love hearing you talk about how your faith is so deeply interwoven. It's not even interwoven. It's just, it is throughout your entire life and how important that is to every step that you make and every choice you make and every, every event that comes across your path. And it's, so it's really beautiful. It's really beautiful, yeah. Kim. Nick, I, my hope and my prayer, and when I say prayer, you know, some people think, oh, I'll pray for you or 
it is is literally intentful. I when if I ever use the word prayer, I want you to walk away knowing that like Kim said she was gonna pray for me. And and you can trust and believe that that I am going to to literally pray for you. That's just like I pray for customers who have no idea that that I might be praying for them because I don't know their name, but I look forward to meeting them. And and for you and Andrea and 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 what you all do, you're both very very gifted. And I, and I hope that you like believe what I'm saying, whether you hear it again from anybody else. I'm telling you that I'm touched, uh, you know, by the fact that you would even have, want to spend time to inquire of in me, a restaurant owner, uh, and my experiences and, and my belief. Kim, it it's very sweet of you to say that you're going to pray for me and for my wife, my family. That means Absolutely. a lot to me. It's very sweet. And we'll pray Absolutely. for you. Thank you. I'm going to hold you to it. I'm, I'm going to do it right after I close this show, after I close this conversation. <laughs> and I can, I can only just say thank you and that I'm grateful for you sharing all these beautiful stories and these wonderful witticisms and wonderful <laughs> jokes and all the humor. I just really, really, I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And to all of you out there listening, thank you very much. Man didn't create the sun and the moon and the stars and put it on a time clock. You'll never be able to tell me man did that. No mm. man created all that. And yet we set our watches to it. The world is on its axis and it spins on a time. And and, and that's all God. Some people call it uh, mother nature. Or whatever. Mm. And I was, I was wondering, like, why do people try so hard to like not put God in the middle of it all? Like even scientists, like, but why? Why can't you say God did it? Why not? 